This is Take Care. Thanks for joining us for a discussion on health and wellness. I'm Jason Smith. And I'm Katherine Loper. A recent study published in JAMA Pediatrics indicated that screen use is tied to children's brain development and not for the better. In the study, preschoolers who use screens less had better language skills than their peers. This raised some red flags for a lot of parents, obviously, but also a lot of researchers and doctors in the field of childhood development. Childhood screen use, at least at the scale we see it today, is a fairly new phenomenon. And that means we're just now beginning to learn the impact of cell phones, tablets, and other screens on childhood development. In order to gain a better understanding of the topic, we reached out to the director of the Center on Media and Child Health, Dr. Michael Rich. Dr. Rich is also director of the Clinic for Interactive Media and Internet Disorders and associate professor of pediatrics at Harvard Medical School. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Rich. Thank you for having me. We've been studying the development of the human brain for a while, but now scientists are looking at how modern technology impacts children's brains. But can we start with just sort of layman's terms about what we know about how the brain develops early on and why that childhood baby time is so crucial? Well, the interesting thing about all of this is that one of the reasons we end up with arguably the most sophisticated brain in the animal kingdom is that we are born with embryonic brains. Every other animal has primitive reflexes that allow them to survive, to find food, to find shelter, to stay warm. But human babies are utterly helpless. They need parents. They need others around them to keep them warm, to feed them, for them to survive. But what that allows us to do is to build our brains in response to the challenges and stimuli of the environment we're in. And we're born with all the neurons we're ever going to get. So the process of brain building is really synaptic connections, connections between those neurons. And those connections that are used again and again are reinforced. Those connections that are not used so much are actually pruned away. Why would one want to knock off connections? Because that improves our signal-to-noise ratio so that we can go from the primitive startle reflex when we hear any noise to understanding that this noise is mommy's voice, and that's a good thing. So... The first three years or so of life are really critical. The brain triples in volume because of these synaptic connections in the first two years. So this is very critical that the stimulus and challenges that they get during those two years and frankly throughout our lives are the kinds of challenges that we will need to build creative, flexible, resilient brains. And focusing in on language ability, how and when is that developed in a child's brain? Frankly, language starts very, very early on. We do know that learning that happens in the first few months of life, the first nine months or so of life, in terms of phonemes, are very, very critical of what we hear and how we interpret that. And that as we grow older, we grow less able to really hear the sounds, the music, and so, in fact, what we're seeing is that when babies sign with very simple hand signals, they actually develop language structures even earlier than when they start babbling. So we're still learning an awful lot about language acquisition, but what we do know is that it is essential to communicate with the child by whatever means as early as possible, first with signing and certainly with talking to them from the beginning, so they get used to hearing the sounds and understanding the meanings as they build their brains around it. 
we're really just beginning to learn about how modern technology can impact the development of children's brains. There's one recent study that focused in on screen time and language development in children. What do we know about that? Well, we're just starting to learn about this, but what we're learning is a little concerning in terms of the fact that what we're seeing in that study in particular is that kids who have more screen time as opposed to kids who have more talk time, interaction time, actually have slower and poorer language acquisition, which in a sense, it makes sense because when you are talked to by a human being, by mommy, by daddy, by sibling, you're getting a whole lot more than just the sounds that are coming out of that box, whether it be television or a computer. I think that we have to take a step back and say, what is the whole experience of communication? What is the whole experience of language? And understand also that while that sound coming out of the television or out of the computer will in later years be understood to be an analog of mommy's voice or of grandma's voice, in the earliest years, it's not. It doesn't have any kind of social capital, if you will, in terms of connecting it with another human being. That's really interesting. Is it as simple as use screens less and that'll help a child with their language skills later on, or, or is it more complicated than that? It's more complicated than that. We need to understand at what stages and ages kids are able to decode the information they're being given. For example, for a long time, we who studied this felt that under the age of two, no screen time was the best thing for young people. But now that we've come into the age of video calling, what we've realized is that, in fact, younger ages of kids can actually respond to, say, grandma on the tablet, but only if they've met grandma in real life first. Wow. So, I mean, I think we could take that further and say it's not just about how much screen time, but is it also about the type of screen time or the type of content they're watching or listening to? Absolutely. It's not about duration. It's about content and context in which it's used. And so there's also a difference between an 18-month-old interacting with grandma on the tablet and an 18-month-old watching a video on that tablet, which is a much less rich experience. And is that because it's less interactive? If you're having a, you know, a video chat versus just watching video, there's an interactivity. There's interactivity, but one could also argue that there's interactivity with websites, with video games, etc. It's the quality of the interactivity. It is with whom that interactivity occurs that matters. And the one place I should say that the duration of screen time matters is that it's displacing something else. And when there is a richer experience that it's displacing, the duration is a negative. So the tendency to put a child in front of a screen instead of letting them cook with you when you're trying to get a meal on the table is a relatively impoverished experience. And so our tendency to use screens to distract or babysit the child when we are trying to get other things done is actually a detriment to their brain development, not just their language development, but their ability to synthesize and decode and understand the world the way they fit in the world and how to behave in it.
Well, let's talk about what are some of the positive things parents and all of us who interact with young children can do to help children develop language skills. Talk to them. (laughs) And even more importantly, perhaps listen to them. The ways we can do that is singing with them, playing games with them, interacting with them, and giving meaning, giving a solid component to that communication. Ultimately, what they want from us more than anything else is our attention and our care. And so how do we communicate that to them in ways that allow them to build their sense of themselves and their sense of their place in the world in relation both to the individual who's interacting with them, but to the larger world as well? And is that sense of self important for the ability to have a back and forth conversation? I would think, not being an expert, obviously, that some of that confidence really plays into it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's one thing for a child to understand language and even understand how to communicate with language. It's a whole nother thing for them to understand that they have a voice and that that voice is valuable and needs to be heard and they have every right to be heard. Moving on from conversations and talking to babies and toddlers, when the children get to a reading age, how does all that early interaction impact their literacy and ability to read later on? Reading starts very early with reading to them. It's about the talking and singing, but it's also reading to them. And reading, particularly in the earliest years, is as much about affection and nurturing as it is about reading. So you sit in mommy's lap, mommy holds you, mommy shows you the pictures in the book as she reads the story. It moves from a very social interaction, which is very similar to mommy just talking to me, into an understanding that in that book are codes for stories, for adventures, for imagination, And so it gives value, it gives gravitas to that book, and it makes you want to start to decode that for yourself. So much has been said about screens, but is there something almost like addictive about screens for children that could also be of concern to their development? Absolutely. Although in our work with kids who have issues with screens, we don't use the word addiction or addictive for a number of reasons not the least of which is the stigmatizing effect of the word that we think of junkies or bums on skid row when we think of addicts. We don't think of our child who's playing Fortnite or watching endless videos. But quite frankly, many, if not all, of these interactive devices and applications are designed to draw kids in, engage them, and keep engaging them because that's you know, how they make their money. So the part of this that appears to be addictive is really something that can be controlled if the parent in introducing these and using these with the children helps the child learn that these are activities that are to be regulated first by the parent in terms of limiting the time, but gradually over time helping the child self-limit and that these are experiences and activities that need to be used when they're needed and are to be put aside for other diverse experiences when they're not needed. Because the other problem with these screens often, at least in the way we behave with them, 
is it's very easy for them to become our default behavior. And that's the case with adults as well. So we need to be conscious of our use of these devices and to respect ourselves, our time, and our attention enough to place those things where they do us the best. And as we started, we said, you know, we're just beginning to learn about how screens and technology affect child's brain development. What are you going to be looking to in the future? What should we be studying and what are you most concerned about? What I'm most concerned about is if we go back to what we were first talking about, about how we build our brains from embryonic brains with synaptic connections that are reinforced or pruned away, depending on how we use them is that when you compare what we know to be really helpful to building young brains, that being interacting with other human beings, acting on our physical environment, like stacking blocks up, and open-ended, creative, problem-solving type of play, you realize that screens are relatively impoverished in all of those areas. So while they try to present analogs of those, they're relatively attenuated compared to real-life interaction with human beings or physical activity. To take a step back from that, we're saying, are we setting up a situation where that relatively impoverished environment will allow those synaptic connections certainly not to get reinforced as strongly, but possibly even get pruned away? The other piece of it is, are we training these kids to live in a world of screens and being increasingly disconnected from other human beings because that near infinite connectivity of the screen is enough. And I think we have to think about this quite seriously and make conscious choices. Is this as good or a better choice? Or should we take a step back and say, I'm giving up too much in terms of not just the development of the individual, but the development of our society. Well, I think this is certainly a topic we will need to keep revisiting in the future. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Rich. Thank you.